0: We're, we're back in the book of First Thessalonians today. And, man, as I've just been thinking about us preaching through books of the Bible, and, man, last week was so fun to celebrate our one-year anniversary and to have so many people here. And uh, Josh come up from Oklahoma City and served us so well and opening the Word of God to us. It, it made me think that we're in our third book of, the, of a Bible since launching the church. We started with the book of Ephesians, and there were so many times in the book of Ephesians where I just felt like this is like hot off the presses of heaven. I think this book was just sent to us right now. You know, like it's been around for, for millennia, but it felt so timely. Uh, then we went through the book of Daniel, and that was a lot of, uh, man, as COVID was moving in and all of that stuff, um, Daniel, I thought, was such a timely word for us. And, and like we could not have, like I'm not nearly smart enough to figure out the timing of those things. Like I mean for whatever reason it felt like we should go through Daniel. Uh, then we were able to see when we were in the middle of it, oh this is why God had us go through Daniel because we're needing to hear this right now. And this feels like just a, a book of the Bible written just for us for right now. And now that we're a few weeks into 1 Thessalonians, uh, I, I feel that for First Thessalonians. I feel like um, as we gather weekly in the fall of 2020, what we're going to hear in First Thessalonians is going to be exactly what we need to hear. And I think that is why, like, online and in person, even why we prioritize and we're intentional about gathering together is because it's not just a kind of like come and and hang out with people. It is that, and that's wonderful, but it's also a corporately, let's hear the message that the Lord has for us. And you might be individually every day going through a different book of the Bible, going through some sort of a devotional, but together as a body, we're going through First Thessalonians. And I thought it was interesting as we just look to the Word to form us, to disciple us, to transform us, to teach us, that our topic today is fighting how to really like fighting in a church plant and you might be like oh really i've been a part of one of these churches before <laughs> like it started uh, becoming about fighting or maybe um and man i just think like 52 weeks in as a church now like there's a lot that we can fight about we can disagree about politics we can disagree about how to raise our kids We can disagree about how to educate our kids, and I I know our ladies had had a really great gathering around that the other night. We can disagree even about masks. We can disagree about how to interpret certain sections of the Bible theologically, and man, we could just fight just because we don't get along with each other, Uh, just plain and simply, just be like, man, I think I agree with them, I just don't get along with them. (laughs) Like, that could be another way that we could fight, and I think it's great that I think the Lord wants us to fight. I think he actually wants us to fight in this church plant. Now, what's interesting, though, is he gets to define what what he means here. But the passion and the energy that would go into like a good fight, that is the passion and energy for us and how we relate to each other in the second year. And I think what we're going to see is the Lord calling us to fight more intensely than ever. Um, and we're going to see in First Thessalonians 2 and 3, like, what he's talking about when he encourages us to fight, and to fight as a church plant. And so, uh, Lord, would you just open our lives up to this? I know it might feel like, where are we going here? Um, but, Lord, would you open our minds to you? Would you give us understanding of your word? Would you give us peace as your words disciple us, would you transform us today? Would you show us how to fight well in this church, in this community? Lord, would you, would you have your way in us today, Jesus? In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're in 1st Thessalonians 2. Uh, we have these scripture journals at the connect table uh, if you want to, to mark them up and everything. We'll have the words on the sc- the screen too. 1st Thessalonians in the New Testament. Go through go past Acts, Romans, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, you'll get to 1st Thessalonians. 1st Thessalonians 2, look at verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, In person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. I love here that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are torn away. Um, I don't love that they're torn away, but I love how they speak about this. In the original Greek, this word, since we were torn away from you, this is what's crazy. It shows the sophistication of the Greek language and how people joke about, like, well, it's Greek to me. Since we were torn away from you was, is one word. In the original Greek, that's one word. Since we were torn away from you was, was one word, and it's, it's, it's written in a real sophisticated way to communicate a lot of things. And what it's communicating is not just that we were physically separated, but we were separated in a way that caused us to be tormented. That, that we just mentally were in anguish, knowing we couldn't be present physically with each other. Um, but... As they were forcibly separated, they fought. If you see here the way that Paul is, is stepping into this, they fought to see each other again. They fought to be close to each other. They fought to be face to face. And Paul says that they're, they're trying to be close to each other. And you see how they fight here. And this is our first point. And I think why we need to really care about church plant fighting is they fight for each other. It's so easy for us to fight each other. Like just to say like, hey, for various reasons, I think 2020 is like a teed up, we can fight each other. If you can't find a reason to fight each other, just wait, it's coming. We can so easily fight each other. And what we see in First Thessalonians is what I really hope happens even more in our second year than it did in our first year, is that we'd fight for each other. Truly fight for each other. Look how, how verse 18 goes. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. We, we need to see this. We need to see really what he's saying here. And we can't be naive about the reality that we have a true enemy. This church has a true enemy. The people, a church is not a building, it's people who collectively as a body make up a church and we have an enemy. His goal is to isolate us and destroy us. See how even here he's trying to keep leaders away. He's trying to prevent people from coming together. Keeping us so focused on fighting each other that we never turn to fight for each other. Paul is aware of this. He's writing this letter to us, to them, and seeing that this is part of the maturity as a Christian, part of our discipleship as a Christian, is that we're not just saved to go to heaven. Like, yes, that's true, and it's glorious, but Paul is aware here that that's not the end of the story. There's this huge part of our life that's focused on being a saved person a person who has been saved by Jesus from the penalty of their sin, who is now added to a local body of believers and growing in that body, being Jesus' hands, being Jesus' feet to shine his light into our community. And if Satan loses the battle for our souls, if we come to be born again through faith in Jesus, if Satan loses that battle for our souls, he will fight us to the last point to at least not be a united, loving church on mission for each other. Like that'll be the second battle that he will try to win is let's keep them isolated. Let's keep them fighting each other. That'll make it so that they're actually not shining brightly for Jesus in their community and growing and being discipled by him. And So Paul's aware here that Satan is hindering him. Now, how often do you think that? Like, man, I'm trying to meet with these people, and Satan is hindering us. Like, I mean, someone might be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe it was just a scheduling conflict. And it's like, yes, that's true. But let's also have our antenna up and be wise and aware as people that we have an enemy who is hindering community groups from happening because of what could actually happen in those groups that could have multi generational impact. We're interesting here, too, is when you read the New Testament, you see that time and time and time again, you see this in the Old Testament, too, with Joseph when he's tempted by Potiphar's wife, is that whenever we're tempted by sin, what we're told to do is flee. Like, whenever it's like, wow, that's a really sinful, you know, situation there. You're not like, let me go there and try and beat up sin or something. It's like, no, whenever you're close to sin, you need to flee, but we're told to resist Satan, to resist the evil one. So why do we fight for each other, resisting Satan? Look how Paul answers this in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ is his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. One day we're going to hear a trumpet blast. It'll be so loud. It'll be so clear. There are other parts in Scripture that's like, hey, when, the, when, when Jesus returns, how will I know? And the way Scripture is written is, if you wonder, he hasn't returned. When he returns, you won't wonder. You'll know he's here. Everybody will know he's here. You won't even need CNN to tell you. It will be so clear to all humans that the king has returned. Um, In that moment, Paul said that his boasting, his joy, his hope is those brothers and sisters that he's locked arms with. That they're all making it safely home together. I think that's just such a beautiful picture. I've had a few times. Camp was that way this year, where it was like we we're in the middle of all sorts of um, risk by having our camp, but we have still prayerfully felt like we should go for it. And then I had family uh, nieces and nephews that were at camp. Uh, a lot, many of the kids and grandkids, people here were at camp. And when you're when you have a bunch of like students around you, and you know like those of us who are adults that are there, like you're kind of, like, in the game to make sure everyone makes it safely home, right? It's like, man, we can have all sorts of stuff happen, but, like, you just feel a different, and then when, like, everybody is, like, back in their vehicles and driving home from, like, multiple days of just going for it, it's like, oh, Man, it was awesome and we all made it safely home. You know, like there's a different level of how you are. And I'm not just like, hey, I'm at camp, I'm gonna go by the pool and just lay there for three days. You know, you're you're approaching it way differently. And like I think this is what Paul's is it's like, man, for us to make it home together for us to be in each other's lives and to be, to be engaged with each other in a way that uh, we are purposefully resisting Satan together. Um, no one is left behind. Man, how great, how great for our community, how great for each of us, how great for our families if we're fighting for each other so much that at the return of Jesus, what we are thrilled about is that the people of Sacred Mission Church have seen each other safely home. And for like I, I think that's such like, a needed message right now, is we are so tempted to fight each other, and Paul is giving us a, a vision for like, hey, what if you think this way about what we're doing here? What do you think about this way when there's tempted to fight on all fronts? What if we fight for each other, knowing that, uh, man, when he comes, when the Prince of Peace comes, that for Paul to say, like, I'm going to be thinking about the people that I've done life with, sharpening each other for this day, to fight for each other. And now he takes us deeper into chapter 3. Look at verse 1. He keeps building on this. Now he says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer... You can't keep me away from this church. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. They were with a group of people. They're like, hey, we got to break. Like, we got to change our plans. We have to come around this church. We sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. They couldn't stand not being close to make sure that everyone was okay. They were willing to be left alone at Athens, alone, and and even pay out of their own expense and dedicate the time to send Timothy to disciple them through the storm, to disciple them in growing deeper in Jesus, deeper as a church during these tough times. And then verse 3 is incredible, that no one be moved by these afflictions. I don't want one person in this body of believers to be moved by affliction. It'd be like, man, 2020 was just too hard, and they're MIA, and they're like somewhere else. It's like, I don't want one person to be moved by these afflictions. This is my hope for us in the middle of all that we couldn't see is that we'd sharpen each other, we'd point each other to the power of Jesus, hide ourselves under the shelter of his wings, that no one would be moved by these afflictions. Then look at the last part of verse three. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We are destined for this. Um, Man, verse three has just encouraged me so much the last couple of weeks as I've been looking at this, is Paul wasn't complaining about easier times, Paul wasn't trying to pass the buck off on someone else so that he could just live in ease. Paul and the Thessalonians knew that they were destined for this moment. Their lives didn't catch God by surprise. They were handpicked to walk with Jesus, to shine a light for Jesus during their time. And man, what if we start thinking about our situation in this way? Because God didn't handpick Paul to live in rural central Iowa in 2020. Paul lived out the story that God had for him, totally different time, totally different place, but he destined us for right now. I was looking through Flickr, we store all of our like phone photos up on Flickr and I was just kind of looking through Flickr and I was looking at just pictures from last year and I was thinking about this verse and I was like, and I was seeing just the way that the Lord was forming our church together then and the way he's forming the church now And I was like, look, he was pre-positioning all of us to be in place for what was going to be coming. And he's always doing that. He's always moving us around and pre-positioning us being like, they're destined for this moment. These people are destined for this moment. And uh, man, he destined us to be planting a church in 2020. He destined us to be here for the challenges that we're facing, placing us together, helping us to establish and encourage each other's faith. So our first kind of point from this was that we need to fight for each other. And then our second, like if you're taking, sometimes it's helpful taking notes just to be like, it kind of helps encapsulate sections of Scripture for us. And I think the way that I'd write the second point is this is our fight so we need to fight for each other and then this is our fight we shouldn't we shouldn't pray for more affliction we should be praying that covid becomes a thing of the past we should be praying for just all the hardships that we're facing we should be stepping closer to each other as mental illness is on the rise as physical illness uh, hits people um, as broken relationships that we'd love to see healed, and we draw come around each other and lift each other up. And that just deep longings that are going unfulfilled with our students, deep longings that are going unfulfilled just with with with, with most of us. And a major mission each of us have as part of Sacred Mission Church is owning that this is our fight that we're in this together, seeing each other safely home. And then Paul continues stepping into this in verse 4. He says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Those are probably like tough sermons to hear, you know. And I didn't feel like preaching that. Uh, I, the Lord didn't give me any insight. I don't think he gave us any insight that it's like, Uh, a year ago, it's like, man, we just need to say, like, we're going to be facing affliction. We need to be ready for this, you know, but he felt that for them way before they stepped into that, and he said, we kept telling you beforehand that we are to suffer affliction, and just as it came to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain." Man, I think we have to admit that the American dream doesn't include verses like these. Like, the American dream leads us, I think, towards, like, individual leisure as, like, the end goal. And, man, individual leisure is a gift. A weekly Sabbath is even designed by God for our rest and enjoyment. But the the greater dream our God gives us, however, instead of the American dream is for us to see a healthy church in action through this letter. Paul couldn't go on with his life until he knew Satan wasn't tempting his brothers and sisters to the point of his labor being in vain. And this takes us to the third and the final charge for us from this passage this morning, and we'll see it in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you verse 7 for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction we have been comforted about you through your faith he's close enough to see the mess and the the hot mess that i think most churches are that are alive and really going for it and pushing back the darkness He's been close enough that through the distress and the affliction, he's able to be comforted to see their faith unwavered. And then verse eight, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. With full honesty, Paul can say, I can live now. If you're standing fast in the Lord, if you are anchored in him, I can live. I can go for it. This is a third point here, is that as we fight for each other, as this is our fight, it's not somebody else's, then we see that life is in the fight. Life is in the fight. It's not like hoping all of this affliction ends, and then we'll go back to life. Paul's saying, like, as we, with all the storms that are crashing in, have unwavering faith in him and as Jesus is holding on to us and the spirit the holy spirit is empowering us Paul's like we're living we're living life is in the fight and uh, man you might say Paul is like way too emotional here you might say like Paul you need to like cool it you need to calm down you need to not put your life and connect your life to the health of the church like, that is, like, like, you should be fired for that. Like, you need to not be a pastor if, like, you're connecting your life to the health of the church. Because there are a lot of things that can bring us joy, like, uh, that can really, like, breathe life into our lives. Like, friends can bring us life and joy. Family can bring us such life. Spouses can bring us life and joy. Kids can bring us life. Um, success can bring us life. But what Paul's saying here is that walking with a group of people in the middle of affliction who are standing fast in the Lord, unmoved, Paul would say that's the top. That's the top of living. And uh, I wrestled with sharing this because it was kind of, I- I've mentioned it a couple times before, but a place that I go to several times is just a, a guy named Eric Weisenbaugh that I happened to meet in Oklahoma City, and he... Um, man, he was super successful, had just graduated from, uh, he had done all of his schooling with the Mayo Clinic, was becoming like a top surgeon in Oklahoma City, was in his 30s, and ended up finding a a tumor on his spine, and make a long story short, he had two little kids, a beautiful wife, and a year, so I met him here, and then in one year, he died, and so, and it was a few years ago, um, but all of it was sad, but what was amazing is he, he had a lot of resources, his, his dad, his parents lived in Hawaii, his dad was a retired surgeon, and when I first met him, I was like, okay, like, let's meet a couple times, but you're probably going to spend the next year, like, just going to Paris, like, you know, like, what's on your bucket list? And he said, I had two things on my bucket list, and he said, I want to put my kids to bed every night that I'm alive in my home, and I want to read through the entire Bible. I want to hear every word that God has for me. That's my bucket list. And I was like, are you kidding me? Your parents live in Hawaii. He was like, no, like, I'm serious. That is my bucket list. So him and I would meet every week, and I would talk to him about verses and passages. He was reading in the Bible and everything. But um, as, man, he was said so many amazing things. They gave him, like, the University of South Carolina, or uh, USC um, Irvine in California uh, did a professorship chair named after him and so he was getting all these accolades and academia and stuff but once again like his bucket list was those two things and uh, I'll never forget just he got to where he he had to stay in bed then he got to where like he couldn't if he every time he sat up he would pass out so he could only lay down and so so him and I would talk as he was just laying down then he kind of kept progressing from there um, but at the end of all of that, I remember like the last time we were together, um, his last words to me, and, and I repeated them to him, was he just said, it's been an honor. Like that was it, like that was at the pinnacle of it all. It was like, this year has been, like it's been an honor to like be in it with you and to be, um, to, to step into all of this. And um, it, it reminded me of John 10.10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Like, that's Satan's mission, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, though, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And, man, there's life. Like, life starts in this way. When we meet Jesus, like life starts this way when we repent of our sin, our sin that separate us from God, uh, God himself, the maker of the moon, though, became the baby in the womb. I love that. The maker of the moon became the baby in the womb. Jesus drew near to us. He came to live a perfect life in our place. He then offered up his body for our salvation. His death bought us life. His death bought us life. We can reject or ignore what he did. If we do, we'll spend an eternity regretting it, not taking him seriously. We can accept him, accept the gift of salvation that he offers to each of us, put our trust in him. Even today, like it's the, the only prayer I'm aware of in Scripture where he says, if you pray this, I will answer it immediately, yes. And that's anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, yes you are saved. I forgive you of your sins. You have life in me. It'll be the beginning of true life. And then as a follower of Jesus, we then have life and we have it abundantly as we grow as a disciple of him. And man, that's, I was feeling abundant life meeting with Eric Weisenbaugh, And you could have been like, no, man, that would have been like the saddest. And yes, it was sad. But man, it felt like I told him multiple times, he'd be like, man, it's probably got to be depressing like coming and seeing me every week and if you want to stay away you can and um, and some cool things were happening where uh, a Marvel movie was coming out and he loved Marvel movies and the president of Marvel heard that um, that he wasn't going to be able to make it to the theater so they sent a guy flew him to this guy's house just to bring him like an advanced copy of a movie that he could watch before he died and some cool things were happening but he was like it's probably too sad being around me and I remember telling him I was like this is the highlight of my week, man. Like It's hard to explain it, but like this is the highlight of my week is meeting with you and stepping into the most like, central part of life and for us to be able to thrive together because of not what's happening here, but because of who, who we're meeting with, who we're looking to, what we're reading about is we are talking about abundant life here. Uh, We're fighting for each other. We're in it together. And uh, man, I I feel alive when I'm with you. And he was like, yeah, man, I do too. Let's keep doing this, you know. And I think like that's an extreme example, but that's what the Lord is calling us and forming us into here, is to, to come alongside each other, to fight for each other as we walk with Jesus. And man, like this is... I didn't plan that we would talk about this, but this is where First Thessalonians is taking us, uh, and it feels really appropriate for this moment in time um, and for us to not do this in our own strength, but to have us be strengthened by him to be able to step into this. So, Lord, I just ask you that, that you would show us how to grow into this. Maybe we've just never, ever, ever thought of church this way before. Maybe we've always just thought of church as just kind of this like our thing we do on, the sun, on Sunday. We leave feeling good, then we'll be back here next week. Um, and Lord, those things are, those are good, but Lord, there's, there's something better that you're showing us. How to truly be an alive body of believers in it. For each other, pushing back darkness, sharpening each other. Lord, I need that for my own sake. I don't want to be a solo Christian. I don't wanna, um, I don't want to be unknown. Lord, I, I want to be in it with everybody and, and I want us together to grow and be discipled by you in a way Lord, that we can look back over years and be like, wow, we were, we were living. We were really living. We were really going after it. And Lord, w- would you just form us into those people? Would you show us what that looks like? If you show us clearly what that looks like, Lord, would we open up our lives to each other and, and ask people to pray for us and, and uh, pray for each other and, and encourage each other and check in on each other? Lord, we don't want anyone to be left behind. Lord, we don't want anybody to be taken out. Lord, we, we, we want to be able to be alive for you as your people destined for this moment. So Lord, would you, would you counsel us, Holy Spirit, would you counsel us what this looks like for each of us? What are things that we need to step into today, this week, To to not just hear this word and leave and think of something else, but instead to hear this and be changed. Because it's your word we're dealing with. For those, Lord, that you are calling to give their lives to you. Man, no one in this room needs to strong arm anybody. Nobody in this room needs to convince anybody, Lord. Um, Would you just meet with those who you are drawing to yourself and make it so clear that you are calling them to yourself. And would that be such an exciting moment that nothing would be able to stop that from happening? Maybe even lay it on people's hearts, who they need to talk to, um, if, if that's feeling like what you're doing in their lives. Maybe what, what conversations we might have this week in the community where it seems like that's what you're doing and you're going to use us right now to uh, lead someone to you man, that is life. Lord, here we are. Send us. Jesus, in your name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Um, A a beautiful step that we should always take um, whenever the Lord shows us things is towards him. We're never like, okay, great, got it. Jesus, I'll see you later. But it's, no, Lord, would you would you lead me into this? Would you show me? Would you commune with me um, and give me the power to actually live this? And so, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 is how Jesus taught us one way to commune with Him is through communion, through taking of these elements. And this is how He described it He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. So I, I love that when he started this, it was not when everything was going great. It was on the night before humans would betray him and have him killed. And he's like, hey, I want to leave this with you of how to commune with me. I mean, there's so much grace in that, so much kindness of him to uh, at times when people were getting ready to push him away, he was showing us how to draw near to him. Um, in remembrance of me. So as we take this, we should be remembering him, remembering what he's doing. He's alive and well, and us meditating on those things. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I love that. Like as we're doing, every time we do this, we're proclaiming something to each other. We're proclaiming it. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So we're warned, let a person examine himself then, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let's examine ourselves, let's pray to him but then let's come together. Uh, The way that we're doing it right now is that we have a cup within a cup. And so just grab one of those and then you can separate them and there's a cracker underneath and then there's juice. And so so let's uh, examine ourselves. Let's repent of any known sins in our life. And repentance isn't just being sorry, just feeling bad. Repentance actually means that we're turning. Repentance doesn't happen unless if the Lord puts in our heart like, no, I want to turn and I want to move towards him. And so, so let's, let's examine ourselves, let's pray, let's open ourselves up towards repentance and step into that as the Lord shows us things and graciously counsels us on areas to step closer to him. But then let's come, let's take the elements and then we'll, we'll worship together. The worship team will lead us in uh, worshiping him from there. So let's come, let's come to the Lord.